Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB. Let's get into it. Do you live in a state that has unjust bans to abortion? Plan C has got you covered. Go to plancpills.org and select your state or territory from the drop-down menu to learn how people are getting abortion pills by mail in your state, as well as information on hotlines, in-person clinics, and more. It even has a pregnancy calculator so you can determine how far along you are, which may affect which abortion options are available to you. Follow and share on social media at Plan C Pills and visit plancpills.org to learn more. We talk a lot about sex education, but when I'm shopping for products to support my sexual wellness, exploration, and expression, I head to the experts at Lion's Den. Lion's Den is an adult retailer with over 50 locations nationwide and hundreds of your favorite brands. They have everything you need to explore and express your sexual side. Right now, you can use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your purchase in-store and online at lionsden.com. Follow them on social media at Lions Den Adult on Instagram and TikTok for exclusive offers, deals, and giveaways. Hello, hello. I hope you all are doing fantastically. I can't wait to tell you about today's episode, which is all about abortion and about state politics. We have Jennifer Driver on, who's the Senior Director of Reproductive Rights at State Innovation Exchange, aka SIX. And in this episode, we talk a lot about a lot of different things, but mainly about how the topic of abortion is truly winning state elections in states that you maybe wouldn't expect, like Ohio, Kentucky, and Virginia. So fucking cool. People are showing up for abortion rights and how it can and will be a winning issue for the 2024 elections. At least we hope, we can pray, we can manifest. Um, We also talk about how important it is to find who your state legislators are and make sure that you vote in state elections. Um, I know that I personally like have a lot of growing and researching to do now after chatting with Jennifer. Uh, Really, really great episode. Uh, And I really want to remind you right quick about our new merch um, because we have abortion merch that says on my way to my abortion. We have hats, we have stickers, we have t-shirts. Please check it out at sexheadwithdb.com slash merch. If you are wanting to buy Christmas or Hanukkah gifts for your fam, uh, you can go ahead and check out our amazing new merch line uh, in partnership with 20 some design. And a reminder, if you rate us five stars and leave us a review, you could win a sticker. So email us a screenshot at sexheadwithdb.com at gmail.com. And here I am with Jennifer Driver. Good afternoon, Jennifer. Welcome to the podcast. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Of course. Really, really stoked to have you on today uh, because we're talking all about politics and abortion today, which are very, very topical conversations, uh, especially after a most recent election that we just had. And so I would love to get started with you just telling us a little bit about yourself and about State Innovation Exchange, aka SIX, and what you do there. Sure, thank you. So I am the Senior Director of Reproductive Rights with the State Innovation Exchange, so I oversee our repro team. 
Uh, six is a national resource center that works to support state legislators who are currently serving uh, build power with and for the people. Um, what we know is that state legislators, um, when they're running for office, get a lot of support, right? They get uh, messaging, they get help, but there's no playbook for when you come into office on how to govern, right? And so we work with state legislators on on all of the things, even from hiring your staff to, you know, how um, law and movement and bills um, work and um, and how you build power with your constituents to, to govern. What we know is that most state legislators in this country are under-resourced. Um, most of them are unpaid and have little to no staff. And so from our work, we work with them to really um, provide that, that guidance and support. And so really quickly at six, we have a couple of issue areas that we work on, um, sustainable agriculture and food systems, economic justice, democracy, uh, and the program that I oversee, the Reproductive Health Rights and Justice. And why I think it's so important to name all of those is that all of these issues are interconnected. And so when we can work with state legislators to see that connection, it means better outcomes and better communities for people to be able to thrive. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for that background. Definitely in public health school, right? Like we definitely learned all about how, you know, environmental health is totally related to the outcomes that happen for social health and, you know, everything in between. Right. And so, yeah, it's really important to see that whole picture and really paint that complex web and really understand each part of it. Um, So that's, that's really awesome. So as you mentioned, right, like we're here to talk about state governments, and what they can do really to protect and expand abortion access, right? Like super critical issue. We want to make sure that we're basically on the podcast talking about abortion multiple times a season. It's something that we are personally very passionate about and really want to make sure we make space and time to talk to experts about what is going on in each facet of the abortion landscape. But first, I want to do a a debrief from the 2023 elections where abortion was a really big topic. And so I'm wondering if you could tell us about the pro-choice victories that we saw in the most recent election. Sure. So what we knew is that abortion really galvanized voter turnout in every state, right? Even if there wasn't a ballot initiative or a referendum. Generally, in non-presidential elections years, voter turnout is typically low, especially um, for progressive pre-Dobbs when the average voter didn't think that Roe was a reality to overturn. And so if we think about the election that just happened, well, I'll start in the Kentucky race, right? So the Kentucky race, um, Governor Andy Beshear won a second term by a pretty comfortable margin. And as an incumbent Democrat defeated the Attorney General, um, Daniel Cameron, and it it was by a significant margin, right? And in places where we thought, you know, some people thought that Governor Bashir would struggle. And what happened? People knew that unseating Governor Bashir meant less access and protections for abortion in Kentucky. We had already seen in past elections where the voters in Kentucky showed up and said, we want abortion to be protected. And they, I think that they showed up again for the governor's race to say, Actually, we want to protect Governor Bashir because anything else would be a, a limitation on our rights. And so that was that was Virginia. I'm sorry, that was Kentucky. 
in Virginia is where I'm going to go to next. I think Virginia, what was really interesting about Virginia is one of the anti-abortion actors, the leaders of one of the organizations had said, Virginia will be a bellwether test for 2024. So that election that we just had, they said, Virginia will be a bellwether test. And in my mind, I hope so, right? Because what happened in Virginia? Virginia was a strong kind of response to Governor Youngkin's plans for a 15-week ban. Despite his attempts to rebrand and not call it a ban, characterizing it as reasonable or common sense, our limits or consensus, the voters rejected that. Mm. They saw through what he was trying to do, and they said, this is still a ban. And so what happened? Democrats took back the, the House and kept the Senate, right? And I think that that was, a, 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 again, a strong kind of showing that they want abortion to be protected. And any giving up of any of these seats meant that they were at risk. And so there was kind of that stronghold. The one thing that's really interesting about Virginia is that 21 Democratic senators and 11 of them will be freshmen or have served less than one year in the Senate. And so never has this been this like renewed energy and power that has happened in um, Virginia in, in such a long time. And then the last one, of course, that everyone was really paying attention to was what happened in Ohio, mm-hmm. right? The ballot initiative that um, that showed that voters want abortion to be protected in Ohio. What we saw in Ohio is that, again, as with in the other states that have had ballot initiatives, the voters have said, yes, we want uh, abortion to be protected and affirmed. And now what do you see happening? Anti-abortion legislators are still trying to go against the will of the people in Virginia and over um, and take and, and kind of do that power and control thing that they often do when they don't get their way. Wow. Okay. So thank you for that update, right? I think like the moral of the story here across the board is that these states that are in the Midwest and the South, right? It's very clear that voters are showing up for their rights, right? And for the right in general to abortion, even if it's not their personal right, right? And so I think that I wonder just like a follow-up is, is this different than past elections? Like, is this something that feels like new? And like you said, there's this new energy. And if so, like, what's your opinion on that? We always knew that abortion was a winning issue. What I will say has that I found really interesting this time around is that um, pro-choice or pro-abortion um, candidates actually ran on the issue. So I'm based in Washington, D.C. I'm very close to Virginia. I saw all the ads. This was the first year that I, in a while, that I remember that every single candidate that I saw on an ad actually mentioned the word abortion. Wow. Not only did they mention it, they used it as a comparison to their opponent. They were saying, I am for abortion. They did say women's rights. So they said that. They said that I am for protecting the right to choose. They they use that language too. And my candidate, my opponent is here to take those rights away. And I am I'm I'm going to protect those rights. And so they ran really showing themselves as a person that was going to um, protect abortion access in the state. And why did they do that? Because they knew that abortion would, they knew that it would galvanize voters to turn out. The other thing that I will say is different is that because in past years, pre-Dobbs, 
a lot of folks didn't really believe that Roe could be overturned, even though the um, abortion advocates had been saying this for decades, right. right? That Roe was on shaky grounds. It wasn't until that Roe got was overturned that folks were like, oh, wait, hold on. You are restricting my access. And that was a backlash, right? And we kind of have seen anti-abortion actors be caught unprepared for the backlash of people seeing that Roe could be overturned and their rights being taken away. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. I'm wondering what what do you think that these victories mean for the 2024 election, right? So we have like a presidential election coming up. I think at least like when I've been scrolling through the New York Times, it like I'm, I'm just concerned, I would say, specifically when it comes to like Trump v. Biden um, and the other elections that are happening. Um, you know, can we use abortion advocacy to win elections in 2024? We can, we should, and we must. And we will. And we will, <laughs> right? If there is a candidate who is running today and does not think that abortion is a winning issue, then you didn't pay attention to what happened Tuesday night, mm-hmm. right? It is incumbent on Democrats who are running for election to run and and lean into abortion as a winning issue. I don't understand why you wouldn't in this moment, mm. right? I think that the presidential um, election and probably Biden's team in this moment are really trying to think through a strategy of how they message and lean into uh, abortion being a winning issue. Because let's let's be real, this was not a president who has was really strong on the issue, right? There was a whole campaign that said, say the word, Joe, right? Where we were just trying to get the president to say the word abortion. Mm -hmm. And I think in this moment, um, anyone who is running kind of on the progressive space or uh, on the side of, you know, the democratic ticket really needs to lean into the abortion as a, as one of the central pieces uh, to the election. On the anti-side, what I think you will see is them leaning more into other issues, economic offerings that they provide to the table, right? Trying to figure out ways that they can be make that concession or these consensus because they know that the, uh, the abortion issue is driving out voters and turnout. And they're trying to look for other ways to galvanize either their base or try to say, actually, we are about life over here, which we all know they're not, right? Right. If we've seen that pattern, and and I don't think people are buying it either, right? This is the the time where folks are saying, actually, no, you're not. Um, but they are struggling to see what what will resonate for their base. And again, you know, the reason I bring up Virginia so much is because the governor there should, I believe, I truly do believe. Had the election gone his way, he would have thrown his hat into the presidential race. And you saw a lot of the um, articles following that that um, election of saying, well, Glenn Youngkin kind of sealed the deal that he's not he can't run for the office because what he was trying to be the governor to show that the 15 week ban is the moderate approach. It is the one that people can get behind. Mm. And time and time again, folks are saying we don't want this limit. We want access to abortion, period. Totally. And yeah, I mean, I think this also just speaks to the fact that the average person like doesn't really know the 
ins and outs, the details about abortion, right? There's so much education that has to go on to explain to people, hey, you know, they can't, you know, from the last menstrual period, that's, at, and most people don't really know actually until at least eight weeks, you know, like there's a lot of content that we need to get to people, right? Like how do we get like from six, right? Like you work with the people who are in positions of power. How do you translate that for them so that they can translate that to their audience? I love that you just said that. First off, because my own mother, right? I'm going to call my mother out in, on this podcast right we now. We love you, mom. But Yes, I love my mother. <laughs> and I do this work, right? I work in the in this space. And my mother says to me, she said, well, back when when um, the case, Dobbs case was happening, she said, Jennifer, you don't think that abortion is going to be over. To, like, Roe will not be there anymore. I said, mom, what the hell have I been have telling you, been you about? Right? Like, we have been talking about this Every single day, yeah. right? About how this could be a reality. My own mother does this, uh, and 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 she has to listen to me rant about politics all you know every day, and she still didn't understand, right? And so I think you're right that the average person isn't always paying attention, and then when the when something happens, they're like, "Oh shit, that happened." Mm-hmm. Oh no, this is unacceptable. And then you know, I think that there's that kind of frustration there. Um. When I work with state legislators, I think what how we work with them is really getting them to personalize this. So it's not just me giving you some talking points. That's not helpful. Mm-hmm. But why is this important to you? And why is it important for the communities that you represent? And I think that that is really important. When you can say your community that, that you live in needs to have access to maternal care. You need to have access to contraception, access to abortion without any restrictions, without any barriers, without any government interference, and without stigma or shame. Mm. You deserve that as a person in your community. And when, when folks can speak like that, people generally can say, yeah, you know what? I do actually deserve that. Mm -hmm. And I want that. Yeah. Who are like the state legislatures that you've been working with that you're kind of like, oh, this person, like there was a big change in this person or kind of like maybe they they were interested, but now they're like all co- totally on board. I love this question. So, you know, to, even to narrow it down is really hard. And I, I'm really proud to say that, right? Because that means that there are a lot of state legislators who are, are doing some really badass shit, right? Um, but Senator Natalie Murdoch in North Carolina, I'm going to give her a little shine right now. Senator Murdoch was our our lead fellow, or our fellow, a state legislator fellow. And one of the things that we had tasked her to do was interview other state legislators about their ideas, um, beliefs, and value systems about people self-managing their abortion. Because we knew um, that more and more people would need to be able to self-manage their abortion, free from criminalization. and But we wanted legislators' perceptions around this. So she interviewed other legislators and provided them education about self-managed abortion. Wow. So what happened, she connected with a representative in Texas, uh, Retta Bowers, had the conversation with Retta Bowers. Um, we all know the Texas landscape. Retta Bauer said, I knew that my bill would not um, pass or go anywhere, but it was important for me to file. After those conversations with Senator Murdoch around self-managed abortion, Retta Bowers introduced a bill on decriminalization of abortion in Texas as a way, as a messaging bill. She said, I had to do something, right? So there's a power in legislators talking to one another. There's a power of legislators educating one another. And I think, you know, six as 
as our role in working with legislators, it's equipping them to do those things so that they You're training can, the trainers. That's training the trainers. That's right. Um, and you know, legislators want to hear from each other. They want to talk to one another, and I think that that's a really beautiful thing. And it's so about who you know and who you who are, who you're able to kind Who's of shake hands with and trust. And like, it's very, yes. I mean, for lack of a better term, political, right? Like these people are wanting to get with one another based on past conversations. And if you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But like, there has to be some sort of oh, like we genuinely want better for our population for our communities. And that's super important. What's really neat about the legislator to the legislator, the train the trainer model here is right. It's not coming from an activist, right? Legislators understand that each they understand the roles that each other hold, and they they know that oh, I want the best interest. You know, this person wants the best interest for me, and so there's just that other connection, almost like of a. Um, uh, I, I don't want to say sisterhood or brotherhood, but like there's just like a, a commonality that they understand between each other. Totally. Yeah. And like if someone is already has that rapport with a certain other legislator, then who better to be able to explain or to have some sort of like group think or for them to convey what what maybe they didn't know before? I think that's right. Another really great example. And so we do these international delegations with state legislators. So we've taken them to El Salvador to look at um, the prisons in El Salvador of and, and how women there have been criminalized for their pregnancy outcomes, whether miscarriage or abortion. Um, that we've taken them to Mexico when Dobbs was uh, had happened, and but Mexico had moved progressively on abortion access in Mexico. Um, and it's through those experiences that legislators say, wow, the U.S. has a long way to go. Behind. Right? There are – there. last year when we were in Mexico, there were activists there that said before we had looked at U.S. and we were like, oh, what can we learn from them? Now we want to tell you, here's what you can learn from us. Mm. And I think that there is something really powerful there. It's a rejection of this U.S. exceptionalism to our healthcare system and looking at where can we learn from other countries to improve our access here. Let's talk about a lube I absolutely love, Uberlube. Uberlube makes sex better for everyone by reducing friction and increasing pleasure. Whether you're using it for solo sex, sex with a partner, or both, Uberlube has a long-lasting performance that lets skin feel skin. It has simple body and condom-friendly ingredients, is scent and color-free, dissipates when no longer needed so there's no sticky residue, and is recommended by leading doctors. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. Flicking the bean, wanking, self-loving, jilling off, menage moi. All of these are different and very creative ways to say masturbation. For 21 days, I conducted a masturbation experiment with one of my favorite vibes ever, the magic wand. In a nutshell, I wanted to answer one question. What is the impact of daily magic wand use on my health and wellness, as well as my sexual experience when compared to regular sexual activity and no sexual activity? The results surprised me more than I thought they would. Want to see the hypotheses and the results for yourself? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magic wand experiment to learn more.
kind of zooming out a little bit, right? Like when we're talking about the 2024 election, right? Like I am someone, I'll use myself as an example. And I think our listeners like are very, relate to this. Like I'm engaged. I'm someone, you know, I'll vote every single time. I am uh, a liberal, like Democrat, right? So like whenever there is an election, uh, basically I'm voting blue all the way down the ticket. If there are, you know, more than, if there's more than one Democrat, I will do some sort of research, but I definitely do feel that the presidential election, partially because it gets the most coverage, right? And in part because it feels like so urgent if Trump is like the person who is against Biden, right? Which we know, like, at least in the New York Times and kind of what I've been seeing in headlines, it's kind of like a scary uh, reality that we are kind of reckoning with that he might come back. And so I'm wondering if you can kind of talk to me and people like me who kind of view the presidential election as like, getting the most uh, press and media, but why are state level elections so important to really talk about and for us as individuals and constituents to research what is going on locally? Oh my goodness. I am always shouting from the rooftops that state um, elections matter. For me, in my mind, they matter more when Congress is gridlocked. And that's the the elections that people pay attention to, the presidential and the congressional races. Mm -hmm. That's what they know. But how many, what, it's November and, you know, they just figured out if we're going to keep the government open, right? right? Nothing passes there. But where do things pass and move fast is at the state level, Mm. right? And so if we're not paying attention to state level races, um, it gets us to these places like Dobbs, or it gets us to these places with these really harmful um, um, bills that we see. Now, this doesn't mean that there's no gerrymandering and voter suppression that happens in states that also contributes to us being to where we are today. But it does mean that policy um, and bills move at a much faster pace um, at the state level. And thereby, you need people who can um, reflect the um, views that you want and the policies that you want in the state house. We often overlook the state house and we overlook state court, um, the process of state courts, right? And so, yes, pay attention to the presidential race, right? Pay attention to what happens in Congress, but pay extra attention to what is happening in the state house because those are the ones that are going to change the conditions most in- immediately. And how do people do that? What is like the easiest way for people like to directly go and learn about what's going on in their state? Oh my gosh. First, the first thing, um, find out who your state rep is. I'm going to call out my mom again. My mom, we love you, you still, mom. I know I still love you, mom. <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm, she's saying, what can I, you know, I, I know who my representative is. She says, Representative Terry Sewell. I said, mom, she's in Congress. What's happening in the state of Alabama, mm. right? Who's representing you in in the state house, and are um, are they doing a good job? And even she had to go and look up their state, her state representative. So what I always tell people to do: head over. Six has a, a place where you can go and check out and find who your state representative is. Find out what their what the, how they what their position is. A lot of us that are probably listening to this podcast are like. Oh, I'm in Kansas. I'm in Alabama. I'm in Mississippi. My my person is a Republican. I'm. It's really challenging. I think that that is, you know, a reality, right? That is something to know. What I would say to that 
is figure out still what are the bills that are being introduced? What are the policies? What are the um, the information that's it's coming out of those legislators? I would also find out who the progressive or the the legislators in your state who are doing something and and send them a message. Hey, thank you for what you're doing. Because I will tell you, I was on a call yesterday with a legislator from Kansas. She's in her freshman year. And she said, it, it feels so isolating and so lonely and it feels defeating at times. Mm. And what we were trying to say is the folks on the ground really appreciate what you're doing. And so they need to hear from you, right? I'm speaking to us. Our legislators need to hear from us, even if they're not your representative, but they um, are aligned with your values. Send them a message. Let like them know. You're doing Thank God's you. work. You're doing, yes, you are, the, you are on the front lines of... Um, stopping really bad shit from happening. Mm -hmm. And thank you. Totally. Um, because otherwise they did get defeated and then you don't have them in the, in the state house anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's really important. I think that I was just talking about this with other people who I was interviewing, uh, for the podcast, but just this idea that like, we do what we do because of the people who say that they're impacted most by us. And like, I think that's right. It's just so tangible when you have someone saying like, hey, like this is my story and you have like changed the way that I view sex education or you've changed X, Y, and Z. Like those state legislators need to hear those stories from us. They do because they're also the ones that aren't getting the visibility like the um, congressional leaders, right? right? And so sometimes it does feel really isolated. Are people paying attention to what I'm doing? And the reality is, yes, we are. And we just need to let them know. Absolutely. Absolutely. We only have a couple more questions, but this has been so awesome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, we we really do tend to think of states as like red or blue, right? We're like Democrat, Republican. For me, as living in California, I feel generally very lucky that like the leaders who are elected here gen- generally or sometimes at least like represent my thoughts and feelings and, and my values. Um, but I'm also wondering, right, like the ability to protect abortion it's not necessary. Like, is it necessarily like based on those categories? Right? Like, potentially, it is in some cases, and in, in most cases, maybe, but in some cases, not. Right? Like, certain leaders potentially have different ideas. Um, but I'm wondering, like, what can state legislators in the states with anti-abortion governors do to push back? Before I answer that, the one thing that I want to just say about you know, we say about red states, blue states, or progressive or conservative, whatever, however you want to classify them and protecting abortion. I think there is one thing to protect. It is another thing to expand access because your Mm. abortion can, your um, abortion can be protected in your state. But if you're, if you have to drive a considerable amount, if it's, if it's not affordable to you, if there's a, a whole host of things, it's not accessible. Right. And so even in states like California, states like Oregon, states like North um, New York, there's still more work to do to make it accessible mm-hmm. for you. Just because it's protected, fine. Roe offered protections. It did not mean it was accessible to a lot of folks. Right. And so I, I, that's the one thing that I often say to folks who are saying, well, I'm in Oregon. We, we've protected abortion acts. Yeah, but have you made it accessible for folks? And if the answer is to that is no, there is still a lot more work to be done. Mm, totally. In states that are, um, you know, um, Republican stronghold or red strongholds, uh, um, anti-abortion legislators who are 
really in the House, the Senate, the governor. Um, a lot of what a lot state legislators will say to you or say that they do in those states are, is around messaging. There are a lot of um, bills that get introduced that to the point that I made about Rep Bowers that we know won't go anywhere, but it is a conversation starter in those states. Um, Rep Escamani says this a lot in, in Florida, that their tactics often when you're in the super ni- minority is to fend, defend, stall, 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 because you know you cannot kill it. You, they know they can't kill the bill. They don't have the power, but they can raise awareness. They can get the public involved. They can, you know, you know, get the public riled Use up enough. Use your voice, basically. Use your voice, basically. Yeah, thank you. Um, because that is what they can do in the absence of actually being able to move legislation. Uh, and that's tough, right? It's not the answer that people really want um, because it's hard until they can get the the legislature makeup that allows them to actually move policies. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, a constant, right? Especially if you are in a state that just more, you know, typically is red and they're not kind of moving the way that you want them to move. Um, I'm sure it takes a lot of effort, a lot of energy, a lot of galvanizing, you know, your support group and people who will have your back no matter what, basically, to continue that. Yeah, I mean, and there are ways that they have brought, um, I don't want to call them moderates over, right? Um, Because I think about the way South Carolina worked where there were the Republican women who actually sided with the Democrats to kind of kill a bill. I don't want to give them too much praise because they have voted for um, uh, to for anti-abortion legislation. Uh, but in that moment, that was something that they had done, right? There are always some tactics, and any tactic in those states matter because you're in the super minority, mm-hmm. right? And so it's it's hard, and but you're always looking for something that's going to get visibility, so at least the public understands the hypocrisy that is happening in the state house. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about the Reproductive Freedom Leadership Council? Yes. Um, one of the favorite things that I love to talk oh, about. Great. So we have um, the Reproductive Freedom Leadership Council is our network of state legislators at six um, that have signed on to boldly champion reproductive health rights and justice bills. Mm. Uh, and so we have roughly 700 state legislators in every state that we are working with um, and what's really great about this is, yes, we have that number, but we also have legislators who have not signed on to the Reproductive Freedom Leadership Council and still work with us, right? Um, we were instrumental in the the Dobbs case of filing the state legislator amicus brief of nearly, you know, 900 state legislators who were saying, we want abortion to be protected. And so that was big. We filed an amicus brief with uh, the Supreme Court for the FDA case um, to protect mifepristone. This council uh, talks across state lines to say, you know what, if abortion is not accessible in this state, how can I make sure that folks have one less barrier in my state? And what are the legislation and, and access points that I need to do? And so it's rare that you can have this you know, large network of state legislators who have signed on to do an issue. And this is one of the issues that uh, this this network is doing. And so it's everything from abortion, contraceptive access, maternal health. We work on LGBTQ issues, economic justice, democracy, all of these things um, to improve the conditions 
and, and communities. Wow. That's incredibly powerful. And like you said, like we were talking about before, right? Like it gives people an opportunity to get to know one another and like who's kind of on their team and who they can count on in kind of like other issues down the line. If they're kind of like, Hey, I, I know that I'm with you on this. That's right. We had a convening one time and there was a legislator from Indiana and she came. Um, and so it was all of our RFLC members and she said, it felt so good just to not have to fight for today. Like I'm mm. in a space with my people and this means something. And she said, this was the first time because her session had just ended that I just, she just, I just could just breathe yeah. and be with my people. And I think that there's some power in that. Totally. Totally. Uh, well, I'd love to know what are you focusing on now and next in your work now that kind of, you know, as we went over in the beginning of the interview, clearly abortion is such uh, an important issue that's not going anywhere. So I assume that that's uh, continuing to be on the agenda. But yeah, I just wonder, you know, how, if you can share a little bit about that and like how our listeners can support pro-choice policies. Yeah. So you're right. Abortion is not going anywhere. It will be a, um, a strong uh, topic in the next elections. Uh, so we will continue to work to not only protect, but expand access in states, um, whether that is, um, you know, um, insurance coverage or protecting mefepristone, all of the ways that um, people need access to care. Um, additionally, right, so we know that, you know, abortion is, a, is health care. But it's not the only thing that we need to focus on. We need to also focus on maternal health. We need to ensure that LGBTQ folks, especially trans folks, have access to care. And while um, anti-abortion legislators know that abortion is a winning issue, where they have turned their sights on are trans folks. And so one of the things that we are continuously focusing on um, with our state legislators is how we um, um, defeat anti-trans legislation in states. And so how can listeners uh, get involved? You know, I'm just going to continue to beat this drum of finding out who your state legislator is. Um, we can help you at stateinnovation.org. You can find out who your state legislator is. If you want, you know, to contact them, let me know. I will help you contact them. But I, I think uh, really getting and paying attention to what's happening at the state level is really, really critical in this moment. Awesome. And where can our listeners find you or if you have anything, you know, that you want to, you want people to read any reports or projects? I know you just, you just said the website, maybe one more time, if y'all have uh, social media, whatever you want to share. Sure. So we are um, at stateinnovation.org. Um, you can find us on online. You can also find us on Twitter, uh, State Innovation on Twitter. Uh, we are at 6Repro on Twitter as well for that's our RFLC kind of all things repro. And um, I'm also on Twitter at Jennifer Driver. Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much, Jennifer, for coming on. Uh, I know that for for me, uh, abortion will always be something that I continue to champion and discuss, uh, as well as all the reproductive health and LGBTQ plus issues that you mentioned. So once again, thank you for coming on and uh, thanks for doing the work that you're doing. Thanks for having me. This was great. Our creator, host, and executive producer is me, Danielle Bezalow. 
Our producer and communications lead is Catherine Cohen. Our producer and communications coordinator is Sadie Leegi. Our marketing coordinator is Kate Fiala. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Thanks so much to our featured guests, partners, and listeners. Want to partner with us? Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. Want to rep us with some brand new Sex Ed with DB merch? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash merch to check it out now. See you next time.